passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind a Raw. It's John Pollock along with. Wei Ting, who was a very busy man this past weekend. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. How you doing? I'm doing well because I was not a very busy person this past weekend. So uh, thank you to awesome. uh, yourself, Andrew Thompson, Kristen Ashley, Mike Murray, and all the people that uh, kept everything running while uh, I, I was out. So I just got to be uh, one to just sit back and take in all the content that was uh, put out. And there was a lot of it this past weekend. Yeah, there was. Yeah, we were. Uh, I guess there, 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 there was between. Uh, you know, uh, Eric Marcote. Did you mention him? Marcotte, Eric, I'm Eric. Sorry, sorry uh, you caught me on that one. It was uh, Eric Marcotte, of course, with his UFC report on Saturday, which was uh, quite, quite the UFC card. Uh, I did catch up on a lot of stuff Sunday night. Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot uh, between the New Japan show and and everything else. But uh, I wanted to thank you. John, for allowing yourself to actually take some time off. I know how difficult that can be for, you know, somebody in your position who uh, does such a great job of, like, keeping up with every single thing. So, um, but, you know, for for everybody's sake, I think we're we're happy whenever you can uh, find some time to yourself. Well, let me tell you, it was, uh, it's become a whole lot easier. There was, um, usually, um, me and my family, we'd go to this, this, this cottage, um, and we'd usually go like Labor Day weekend or something. And this place, as I've talked about in the past, one of the charms of this place, it's a it's actually a big positive, is that there is there is no internet connection at this place. And I, I've grown to really enjoy going for like two to three days and having like I have no choice but to be completely disconnected. And I love it. I just I put my phone on airplane mode anyway. I don't I don't want to get uh, a signal or anything. But in years past what would happen would be Labor Day weekend. That would usually always be when PWG would have BOLA. And there's always news going on. So in, invariably, like we would go up on a Friday and maybe I'd give myself the Saturday. But then the Sunday, I would like go into town to a coffee shop and go work there for like two hours. So to be able to now, I can just rely on, on others. It's a wonderful feeling. So a big thank you to the entire team because it goes way beyond uh, just myself or or even you and me. So, so tell me what you do instead. Like, what, what are some, like, I, I'm trying to remember that life is what I'm trying to say. I don't remember life without Wi-Fi, without the internet. What, oh, what do amazing. you do to fill your time? I read, I read three books this weekend. Three books. Wow. I read three books. So at the end of the year, I will do an update. My goal at the beginning of the year was 
25 books to read this year. And let's just say that if 25 was Roger Maris, well, I am a Androstein Dione free version of Mark McGuire, and I'm just getting warmed up. Holy shit. Um, quite the analogy. What kind of books did you read? I read, uh, I finished this book on the comedian uh, Bill Hicks that is a book I bought when I was in England 12 years ago and has always just sat here. And this year, like I have so many books that I've just never read. So this year, every single book that I've just stared at and been like, I bought this for a reason. I just, I start reading it and I finish it. So I finished that. Uh, as I was leaving to pack, uh, I just grabbed this, uh, it was like this high school teen murder mystery. It was this book I bought my wife a few Christmases ago. And I thought it was interesting. It was just about like it profiles four teens and this other teen gets murdered in in detention and the whole book is figuring out who did it. So I won't spoil it in case someone wants to read that. I read that. And well, what's then it called? it's called uh, One of Us is Lying. Okay. It was a New York Times bestseller. It's Great. it's a pretty light read. It's kind of funny. And then the last one, uh, I did actually read a, a wrestling book, and it was – are you familiar with, with Ron Hutchison? Yes. From here in Toronto? Mm -hmm. So he put out his book last year, and it was one that I had been meaning to, to read because I used to go to his shows when he ran the Apocalypse Wrestling Federation. Of course, uh, Ron Hutchison, very, very well known. I mean, he was, he was a wrestler and – you know, worked, you know, underneath when the WWF would come up here into town, he would work as an enhancement talent and, you know, wrestled a lot of places. I went to Emile Dupree's out in the, uh, out in the Maritimes and oh, went to lots of places. But I think a lot of people would be familiar with his name because of his work at Sully's gym here in Toronto and training the likes of Edge, Christian, Trish Stratus, Gail Kim, Tracy Brooks, um, Sin, Joey Legend. I mean, you know, quite a, an impressive resume when you look at all the the names that he trained. And yeah, so I, re I read his book and it was like a really enjoyable book about somebody that, you know, by his own admission, like he never made huge money in wrestling, but he had a great time part of this industry and working through many different areas from uh, a wrestler to a trainer to uh, becoming the trainer for the women attached to Carmen Electra's Naked Women's Wrestling League that you may or may not have uh, attended one of their tapings. Yeah, I believe uh, Fight Network had a bunch of free passes, and uh, I was you went? there. Yes. You went. I, ne I never went, but uh, they ran a bunch of shows. It lasted longer than I thought it did. I thought this was like a one-and-done kind of promotion, but it looks like it, it did go uh, several years or so. But, you know, he... He ran, he helped run this company called the Apocalypse Wrestling Federation, and it was largely just a, a company set up to get experience for their students from the gym. And they would run shows at the the infamous Cactus Pete's here in Toronto, which was a venue to really behold. How how anyone could walk into this bar and say, you know what, pro wrestling in this bar, it was something else. Like it is notorious for. Like it had ceilings that were just so low that if you climbed to the top turnbuckle, you would have to crouch down because you could not stand up vertically without putting your head through the ceiling. That's how small it was. But I, I found it to be like just this perfect analogy of what, you know, your 
an early independent wrestling experience should be like. I, I wouldn't want to be in some nice looking venue. I would want to be in Cactus Pete's, which I don't believe is around any, any longer. I guess if you could fit a what ring, you could have wrestling anywhere. Uh, t- true, but they had quite a few names that went through uh, that bar. So anyway, I read his book. Those were the three I read this weekend. Well, that's excellent. Awesome. I'm glad to hear you were very productive. Uh, if What was the, the highlight of the weekend between... Um, I am the bar. I am the sun. Uh, <laughs> I am the Sengoku Lord. I mean, what what was the the highlight of the weekend? If you had to isolate one particular match moment, anything? Okay. Uh, in a match, I mean, I think I would probably say Evil versus Hiromu Takahashi. Uh, it's a match I, I very much enjoyed. Uh, but certainly the bar fight had its own. Um. I think interesting uh, discussion points, uh, and I encourage uh, you know all patrons to listen to Kristen Ash- Ashley's uh, thoughts on that particular match uh, from a very unique perspective that she had. So I-, I think maybe talking about the shows was was my highlight, maybe even more so than the wrestling itself. So full full disclosure, I've not heard your review with 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 Mike yet for Sengoku Lord. I watched the top three matches on Sunday night, and I found it to be very tough with the crowd and i don't know if it's if it in some ways it's actually worse because you see all these people there so visually your brain is just equating this to a crowd that is not engaged with what they're watching because of the you know the the limitations that these fans have been asked to limit themselves from from not cheering but i found that to be more pronounced than i thought it was going to be on this show I know what you mean. It's almost as if like your mind's kind of tricking you because you see an audience and you're expecting them to sound loud. And when they aren't because they're trying to adhere to their rule of, of, you know, not making noise other than clapping or stomping your feet, it comes across like they're not engaged. But, you know, um, you know, you know that not to be the case. It's just it's something you kind of have to get used to when you're watching specifically New Japan because everybody is being so careful and so obedient as far as these rules go. Um, I guess I'm I, I'm you know it's something to get used to, but at the same time, it's like you I'm assured a bit that like people are doing their best in order to enjoy these shows while also being safe. Where are you at with uh, the Evil Project after this weekend? Uh, you know, I, I kind of explained on the show how uh, my enjoyment of that match largely fell on my enjoyment of Hiromu Takahashi and mm-hmm. Evil, I think, you know, did a great job. But I think the jury's still out, um, depending on how long this reign is, how much he might be able to uh, improve and evolve as a character and as an in-ring performer in these 30-minute long matches. So I'm still not sold on him yet. Um, but uh, what did you think? Yeah, I, I thought this would. This was certainly. I mean, we we're we we're coming off that Naito match that I hated. I really hated that match. Like it would be of of major matches this year, like a main event level match. It, it might be at the bottom for me. Uh, that's how much I detested that match. So this was uh, leaps and bounds ahead of that one. But I I was with you. I was more. I took away you know Hiromu's performance in that match, much less evil. And I thought they were having a a pretty good match, but. The like Dick Togo, I'm fine with Dick Togo being in New Japan, but it just seems he is there to be an updated Gato. And they're not, it's not even like he's replacing Ghetto. It's that there are multiple guys that we just have to do these run ins and we got to use the wrench. And it just, if it is feeling like the closest 
New Japan has come to mid-2000s TNA when this was every main event that was laid out where it was dozens of run-ins, weapon strikes, uh, referee looks like a fool, and I think that they've become so reliant on on that. And I think it's even compounded by the fact that you're not even getting the crowd outraged because you can't, given the environment. So it just it comes across to me as a lot of shortcuts that they're trying to take with evil that I think is actually a disservice to what evil could do. But I think they just had this hard and fast rule that to get this guy across as this dastardly villain, uh, we're going, you know, the same route we went with, with, with the bullet club throughout the G one, where it was run-ins and ruining people's enjoyment of a match by doing all these heinous acts in our main event. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, clearly that's, that's Gato's play. And I would say at least, you know, on this side of the world, it's been met with a lot more disdain than I think any sort of positivity, which I imagine on some level is his intent, uh, to try to get you to hate them enough to make you want to see Naito beat evil again. But is it detrimental? Not, to the nothing, nothing can make me want to see that rematch again. And I, I know that that's where we're going. Uh, but man, uh, that's, that to me is a, a threat, not a promotion. Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, Mike and I discussed perhaps the possibility of them doing something different this time around. I mean, uh, you did have somebody like Liger on commentary really point out how that something should be done about this constant cheating from Bullet Club. So it makes you wonder if they might decide to add some sort of stipulation to this one to make it somewhat different. A rare cage. Something like that. Yeah. Something to fit in a baseball stadium. Uh, yeah, that's... Um... You know, uh, unfortunately, we're, we're taping this several hours before, but by the time most people are listening to this, uh, New Japan is holding a, a press conference for the Jingu Stadium show. So I would imagine they're going to be laying out um, all the probably the entire card for the stadium show, which is only a month away. So by the time people are listening to this, uh, you should probably know the, the whole card for August 29th. Yeah, and I, I, I wonder if they'll be announcing anything else, you know, in the shows leading up to it, too, because they do have several shows. Yeah. They have to, you know, create main events for. They're doing like four straight nights at uh, Corquin Hall, not this weekend, but next weekend. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you'll probably get, you know, they're, they're teasing stuff like uh, Minoru Suzuki challenging Yuji Nagata. Like that, I could see them headlining a Corkin show as opposed to holding that off until the 29th. But, yeah, it, it will be interesting what the stadium is configured uh, to. If, if you're going with just this percentage of... We're going to set everything up for a third of the size. I mean, that could be a sizable amount that they could sell tickets for for this stadium event. But um, I believe it's yeah. 37,000 capacity. I, I'm not sure if that's necessarily configured for baseball or for other types of uh, uh, events. But, you know, you would imagine somewhere in the ballpark of like 10,000. Literally the ballpark of. That's right. Um, okay. Yeah, so anyway, by the time you're listening to this, you can, uh, you'll can you probably see it uh, on the site, what's uh, going on there. Let's uh, stick in Japan because on Monday morning, uh, DDT and Pro Wrestling NOAA, uh, the representatives held a press conference to announce that uh, the companies, along with um, another subsidiary, uh, DDT Foods Company Limited, are going to be merging under the banner of CyberFight, and this is going to take effect September the 1st with uh, Senshiro Takagi serving as the president of the new company with uh, Naomichi Marufuji and Akito appointed as the executive vice presidents. And I'm sure like there's going to be further details on what this exactly will entail, but from the sounds of it, and I did watch the press conference this really sounds it, – it's, it's a direct response to the pandemic and the effect that it has had on CyberAgent, their, their parent company. 
but it seems much more that it is a kind of just fortifying their whole business structure behind the scenes and that the on-screen product is not going to be impacted by this. But uh, whenever you hear merger, that is where a lot of people's uh, conclusions are going to lead to that this is going to, um, you know, force some changes when it comes to the presentation of Noah and DDT. That's not exactly what I got from this. This was more so um, probably eliminating some some roles and some cost efficiency, but it's largely just um, more so behind the scenes maneuverings that the company is making rather than, um, you know, sweeping changes to the different wrestling companies. I mean, I just kind of more so read this news story as a uh, more of a continuation of the formality of, of this continued um I don't even know. I mean, it is officially a merger, but it's really just, you know, the, both companies existing under the same umbrella, uh, perhaps running some joint shows together. Takagi talking about him wanting to run uh, with uh, the goal of eventually running the Tokyo Dome, you would assume, with a, a combination of these properties, on, uh, you know, pr- promoting one single show together. Um, Listen to a podcast last week and he started getting thoughts. We got to go back to the Tokyo Dome. That's right. So I'm, he's also he's all he also said that we are. We are going to overtake New Japan. So, I mean, ambition clearly uh, in this man's back pocket. Oh, of course. I mean, you, he, of course he should say that. You know, any, any leader should want to chase after the industry, number one, and with the goal of, of uh, beating them. I guess I just like, <laughs> I get a, like two things really stand out to me about this press conference. And one, it's that um, Takagi, the guy who is now in charge of the entire thing. I've seen his bare ass so many times in these DDT matches. Um, I, it's just hilarious to me that he is now like, you know, I mean, of course the whole time he's run DDT, like behind the scenes as well in a very formal capacity, but this, this like setting of a press conference looks so formal. I'm just expecting like Dan Shikadino anytime to come out, <laughs> to here, run into the conference and yeah, attack him to like for them to have a match. The other thing, DDT has a food company. <laughs> what is DDT foods and what, what kind of, what kind of food do they make? This is the real headline story coming out of this is the subsidiary that I was not aware of either, but it was enough like they were they were making it, you know, it's not like there are going to be three divisions here between these three companies uh, with DDT Foods included. And I would love to know more about DDT Foods. And this will not, certainly not be the most a, appetizing name either, I would say. No, it literally is. Uh I know I'm sure it they is. do appetizers very well. I would, I would think. <laughs> I'm just I mean, saying, just... like googling DDT foods does not uh, come up with the most, um, you know, uh, savory types. How of, does uh... a dramatic dream, dream team uh, wind down after being the focus of someone's uh, thoughts and dreams? Got to sit down for a meal afterwards. What are I, they going to eat? I, this will this will probably be the first thing I ask uh, WH on our next show. Yeah, I'd love to know. Uh, I know that, like, uh, you know, Damien Abraham informed me once that they, there was a DDT runs a bar. Um, I don't know if that has any association with this. But, yes, that is the big story here. Headlines. DDT has a food company. Uh, so we'll c- continue to watch this. But it was, um, yeah, a uh, notable uh, story coming out of uh, Japan today. I'm curious about uh, kind of how this is implemented further and, and what kind of uh, position is cyber agent in and it's a question for all companies coming out of the pandemic like how much has this affected i mean cyber agent is a a juggernaut in japan i mean wrestling is a very small part of their portfolio but i mean it's not like anyone is unscathed throughout this this whole thing barring barring some companies that have actually 
probably done very well throughout this period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody's going to have to do like whatever they can to survive. And, you know, for, for Noah, I mean, in many ways, like this probably came at a really good time. Uh, moving back here to North America and Recently, the WWE had held their virtual shareholders meeting, and this actually happened back on July 16th, and uh, Brandon Thurston unearthed this uh, conference that they had. This involved all the the key executives, including Vince McMahon, Stephanie, Paul Levesque, um, and Frank Riddick III, who was their interim uh, CFO after uh, George Barrios and Michelle Wilson had left the company. So some of the notes from this uh, call that they held... Uh, their response to COVID-19, it's included uh, shifting its corporate staff to working from home. Uh, although last week, Stephanie noted the one person in the office is Vince McMahon, which is not hard to imagine, as well as uh, delaying the spending on their new headquarters, uh, temporarily suspending its stock repurchase program, uh, drawing $200 million from a credit facility, and also lowering its headcount of employees uh, through furloughs. Um this was a lot of you know the information that had come out when they made the uh, the cuts back in April, and a lot of interesting stuff came out in the Q and A where there were some pretty straightforward questions about the the health of the company and what's going on. Um, Riddick was asked about the free version of the WWE Network, uh, and thus far he said that uh, it's had early positive results, but nothing definitive. And as Stephanie McMahon noted last week. Their consumption is up 67%. And I would assume way that a lot of that figure probably comes from the fact that they have introduced this free tier. It's a lot easier now to watch the network. And I'm that, that would sound like a lot of people are at least sampling the network now um, with free subscribers and hoping to convert them as their strategy. That uh, would make sense to me if that was the case. Um, and then this was a follow-up, and this was very interesting, was that when asked about the tiered system that we have heard about forever in connection to the WWE network, um, Riddick stated that they believe that a premium, t- premium tiered system uh, is not the optimum approach to maximize the subscription value. Instead, they want to go with this free model to bring in new subscribers with the idea of converting them and this was the most uh, definitive statement against what had been certainly the strategy presented numerous times by Barrios and Wilson of introducing this tiered system to the network that does not appear to be in the cards anymore. I found that really interesting. You know, the fact that they may be abandoning that idea and what does that mean for, you know, uh, previous discussions or at least rumors that uh, companies like, uh, you know, progress or evolve or, um, or I guess at this point involves catalog or, you know, other independents might find their way on the WWE network. I think it, yeah, it would seem that if those companies and their libraries ever end up on the network, they're just going to be dumped on there with the, and I don't even necessarily disagree with the idea that, you know, those libraries alone would entice people to like, it would be a nice bonus for a higher tier, but you're going to need a lot bigger of a hook if you're going to be asking people to pay $5 more and you're getting progress shows or evolve shows. Um, I can't say that's the wrong thinking. And if you don't have that giant hook, then maybe, and based on the results they're seeing, if people are responding to this free tier and they're seeing conversion rates that are satisfactory, um, this, this might be a better way to find new subscribers. I, I do wonder at this point, you know, if the game is more so, 
getting people not just to stay on, but to continue to resubscribe rather than to get the ones that already subscribed to pay even more. Um, because I, 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 I wonder if people, if they're just simply in a, in a period of in a position to expand something like this, or if they're just in a position to try to retain as much as they can. Mm-hmm. And that will be a very interesting number because this week, this uh, Thursday is the second quarter uh, report that the WWE will be putting out. And that's definitely one of the answers we'll get is how many of those free subscribers, that huge number that signed up on WrestleMania weekend, how many of those numbers were they able to turn into paid subscribers? Um, so that will be interesting to see as well. Um, they mentioned the UK Performance Center. It's been down since March when the pandemic hit, but they're hopeful of different ideas to create new content with the brand. Uh, Vince McMahon stated it's possible they could run another Saudi Arabia show before the end of 2020, but that is not uh, etched in stone. And they do have a backup plan in case they can no longer run in Florida. But Vince McMahon is not telling people what his plan is. So uh, just faith in the chairman. And the cost cutting measures had nothing to do back in April with the XFL, which I don't think is surprising to any. When the subject of ratings came up, uh, This was Vince McMahon's answer about uh, ratings being down. He said, the importance of linear programming is paramount in all of our businesses. We consistently have seen year over year increases in a variety of digital metrics and engagement and positive trends have continued even during COVID. Conversely, TV viewership trends have been negatively impacted by COVID, obviously, and the lack of a live audience. We are still nonetheless the number one television show on the USA Network and consistently the number one broadcast show on Fridays among, wait for it, the key demos. Mm. The buzz term of the year. So tons of people are taking in our, our social media platforms and free content. It's turning on that TV that's just been uh, very difficult during this pandemic. But I mean, there it, there is substance to that, that these shows are tougher to watch, but I think what we have seen just over the past couple of weeks is an increased decline specifically to Raw that you can't simply pinpoint to the empty arenas because at this point, it's it's been like that for over four months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, for an answer like this, I and really any sort of other, of these like PR statements or Q&As, it's, I think it's really a game of how you can take the positive metrics that you do have to spin them, to emphasize them, um, and really to explain away the negative metrics through things that are out of your control that the in- entire industry is experiencing. And I, 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 I'm, I'm not really sensing too much that I think we can say, you know, uh, definitively, this is them panicking about anything, or maybe they're not panicking and this is truly how they feel, but I don't really gain much from these types of answers. This was also done July 16th, so that preceded Extreme Rules and that that next night on Raw, which was definitely a sobering number for them. Um, One of the more interesting answers came from Paul Levesque, and he was asked, what is the role of NXT? Is this a feeder system, or are they a third brand alongside Raw and SmackDown? And when I heard that question, I'm expecting Paul Levesque to go to his stock answer, and what we got was a much more kind of detailed explanation um, where he says, if you look at the NXT brand, it's both. Um, He says that it's a, it's a third global brand along with Raw and SmackDown. It is also the place where we make new stars and increase our talent and stars for the future of both Raw and SmackDown. So that is the pipeline. 
And that is, if you wanted to say, the feeder system. But it's also become its own third brand. In regards to the ratings, he says, I'm very happy with them, especially in the, cer- in the current circumstances. We look at the long term of that, not the short term. And the long term is very exciting. We have a lot of stars There are a lot of young, hungry athletes, and the pipeline to bring in more as they continue to train and get better is very exciting. Uh, He was also asked about AEW later and kind of explained it that when something new and fresh comes along, there is an excitement factor, but kind of uh, downplayed um, AEW to a degree, but did acknowledge some of the success that they are having. But I found it very interesting that NXT here from, from Paul's mouth here was that Yes, uh, this is a third brand, but this is producing talent for Raw and SmackDown. And that has been uh, a narrative that they have tried to shift significantly over the past year or two, where any time that has come up, they have said the opposite, that it is it is on par. And Hunter even bringing up the fact that some talent will go from Raw and SmackDown to NXT. And it seems that this is a pretty stark uh, change that... NXT, yes, it's on USA, it's on Wednesday nights, but its role is producing talent for Raw and SmackDown. That's a key part of what NXT is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like he's not necessarily wrong in that it, it does qualify as both. Uh, I think, you know, as far as like whether or not it's a feeder system for everybody, I think a lot of that might depend on the particular talent that, that he's talking about. Um, certain talents, I think, coming out of that system will fit better in an NXT as opposed to a Raw or a SmackDown. Um, there's a reason why, like, you know, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa uh, only appeared for, like, those one or two weeks before they were brought back to NXT because I think most would probably assume that they would fare a way better chance of being a main eventer in NXT than those other two places. Um, so in that do, sense... Do you feel at all that there has been a recognition that NXT is in the position it's going to be on Wednesday nights and that has that has changed the the overall strategy like the idea of mm. sending Charlotte down there for a month or so or even Banks and Bailey who have stopped appearing there that NXT is where it is and that's kind of our focus now is that ultimately this is going to be a third brand for us but one that is fueling talent for us and not vice versa we are not sending our stars down there for any prolonged period so are you suggesting that the reason why somebody like uh, Sasha hasn't made another appearance on NXT could be because they don't want their stars on a losing show? Not so much that they don't want them on, on a losing show, but that they are not going to like it is not the same competition that they were in where they were. They felt they were neck and neck and they want to beat AEW. I mean, they were winning a- just two weeks ago uh, in viewers. Yes. Um you know, we, but coming out of that, I mean, where, like, there is no question that those two weeks, I think, will be looked upon as very important weeks where AEW for a month promoted those Fighter Fest shows and they have rode that momentum coming out of them. NXT had no momentum coming out of those Great American Bash shows and the double championship. And I, I would say, like, they are in, and, and granted, we could see a, a great change for NXT over the next month or two if, if someone catches fire. But I, it's very clear after last week which brand is the one that has all the momentum coming out of those shows. Yeah, coming out of those ones, you know, like without um, really, you know, blowing your load on on a, on a couple like major cards. Um, what is the better default show? And I think the the past couple of weeks have shown that 
at least the last week, has def- definitively shown that I think AEW can present the better default show. Um, you know, uh, w- w- getting back to like uh, Paul Levesque's question, I mean, I don't know if it represents any sort of a significant shift in like how he sees NXT. Um, uh, maybe it does. I mean, I, I'm actually not really familiar with like the, the pattern way of him talking in the past. Perhaps like in the past, it was more of a way for him to try to promote uh, to get people to acknowledge NXT as like a, a, a more serious thing than just a developmental thing. Well, how about this theoretical? Okay. If, if we were it, forget Finn Balor going down there last summer, you fast forward to this year and would you be taking a Finn Balor level star to send down to NXT to be competitive on Wednesday nights? Or are you looking at that as it's a waste of Finn Balor to put him on Wednesdays? We could better utilize him on the bigger brands, Raw or SmackDown. Do you think that thinking has changed? Or if the right performer was being discussed, that NXT would be a, a worthy place to put, put a big star? It's a good question. You know, if if they had to re- make the decision again in a position like they are in right now, would they give Finn Balor to NXT uh, when certainly like a Raw could really use a Finn Balor right now? Even a SmackDown could really use a Finn Balor right now. Um, a lot has changed since then, since September or October. And if I had to guess, I would say the answer would be no. Uh, but, you know, the more likely people I think you would see go to NXT are people who I think could benefit from being in an NXT system a bit more, um, you know, and that that's to say people at this point who maybe, you know, are a little bit stale on Raw, on a Raw and SmackDown. Uh, but I, if you ha- if I had to guess, I don't I don't think they would make the, that same move right now. It's it, it hit me as we were watching Raw tonight that if you were to say in January that SummerSlam this year, you would not have Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, Becky Lynch. Charlotte Flair, like that's that's a big hit when you mm-hmm. look at you know one of their major shows of the year and who do they who they don't have at their disposal for for such a big show, and you don't have crowds and you're not traveling, you know, like the whole. This was not on the likely different. unlikely list uh, <laughs> at the end of 2019 for us. Yeah, yeah. So SummerSlam will be in front of nobody, and all these performers will be gone off TV. Uh, anyway, so uh, that was uh, some of the notes from that shareholders uh, meeting. Also, they they had Paul Levesque really go through the the testing that they're now doing at the Performance Center and the measures in place. They did not go into the uh, the COVID cases that uh, did come about. Where, like, let's be honest, Major League Baseball is getting a lot of criticism now with you know the Miami Marlins, like fourteen people attached with the team have apparently tested positive nine of them players. And the big discussion point today was that major league baseball was the one league that did not decide to do the bubble like the NBA, like the NHL and granted WWE. It's a much smaller example of what major league baseball is doing, but it's the same idea. It's like less people, but they're traveling all over the place. And I think WWE, they escaped a lot of, criticism that they flew under the radar for the way that they were caring about shows for all those months that now they have caught up to, I think, have a proper um, explanation of what we are doing when we're running shows. So when you're doing calls like this, you can give um, give a respectable answer about testing, about distancing, masks, things that were not in place two months ago. Yeah, it only took several people to test positive for them to... Uh finally do it um so 
uh, it's wrestling. You know, it's always going to fly under the mainstream radar. The last story here, it's an MMA one, and it's it's interesting. So Gilbert Melendez, uh, he got a, a random USADA test last October, and it happened on October the 16th. And it turned out uh, that he tested positive uh, for a banned substance uh, called uh, GHRP6 and its metabolites. Now, what happened was that Gilbert Melendez was actually cut by the UFC several days before, but he was not notified that he had been cut in time for this test. So he uh, took this to arbitration and argued that he should not have been subjected to a USADA test because USADA is monitoring UFC fighters, and he had technically been cut. And typically, when a fighter is cut, USADA is notified right away. So there were four days in between here. Melendez isn't aware he's been cut when he takes this test, and so he argued it. They did not argue in favor of Melendez, so he does get a two-year sanction that's retroactive to November the 1st of last year. So he can fight again as of November 1st, 2021. Uh, And who's to say if he's going to fight again? Uh, He may not. But what came out of this case as well is that USADA ruled that his suspension is only regarding UFC events that technically he could go fight for another company and that other companies have typically always acknowledged and recognized uh, USADA uh, suspensions. So I don't know if this is a case where Melendez can get around this and and go fight for a Bellator, if a Bellator would even entertain that notion. Uh, But this was an interesting case that here is someone that failed a test that they technically like would not have taken if they knew they had been cut by this point and you saw shouldn't have even approached them. And here's someone that could lose, uh, you know, another year and a half of their career. Is that always the case? If you test positive for USADA under, you know, a UFC test, you're allowed to wrestle or fight for other people. It's like, I, I don't know of any examples of any companies that have used guys that have been suspended. And it's always kind of been promotions have always, uh, acknowledged um, suspensions that they don't um, override uh, USADA suspensions. So the fact that that came up, that was kind of interesting. I would be very stunned to see. First of all, like Gilbert Melendez, I think you know his career is. I mean, he he hasn't won a fight since 2013. Uh, but the idea of Bellator and Scott Coker wanting to use Gilbert Melendez again, it would not shock me. Uh, he's 38 now. He'll be 39 when his suspension's up. But I would find it very surprising if, like, a major MMA promotion um, tried to use him now when he's technically suspended. But, I mean, you saw the outline or the the arbitrator, I should say, outlined it here that this is only specific to UFC events that you are suspended for two years. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, An interesting case to to look at here. Uh, All of your news, you can find it up at postwrestling.com. Lots of great updates over the weekend from our own Andrew Thompson. And looking ahead to this week, uh, it's a bit of a lighter week. Not uh, not as crazy as the past couple. But Wayne and I will be back Tuesday night for the most controversial show that we put out every month. It is the Ask Away Mailbag Show. And boy, what are those questions going to entail this month? Uh, who knows, John? Uh, but it's a very full mailbag. And uh, if you haven't gotten your questions in, you can do that right now for all patrons at forum.postwrestling.com. Wednesday, we've got our regular shows of Up Next and Rewind at Dynamite. 
on Friday, uh, we're going to have two shows. We'll have Rewind to SmackDown, which will be live at 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time for all all members of the cafe. And earlier in the day, I'm going to do a show with Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics, and we will go through the WWE's second quarter report and earnings call. So, uh, again, they're putting out their – or they're holding their call Thursday night. So we'll do that show on Friday, and everyone can – uh dissect the numbers and whatever comes out of the earnings call. Always many subjects to talk about. And Brandon's always a great guest for all of that discussion. So all of that can be found postwrestling.com or postwrestlingcafe.com, where you can now listen to Rewind to SmackDown with guest Kristen Ashley and the Sengoku Lord post show with Wei Ting and Mike Murray. Also wanted to give a quick plug here for our friends at Up Next and their Patreon show, where I appeared over the weekend for... They're up yours where I made them watch. Freddie got fingered and they, you know, typically, I guess, just uh, have have their guests on for a little bit. But for this one, they decided to ask me on for the entire review. And boy, was I glad because I've, I've been looking for an excuse to watch this film, but not just watch it, but watch it with very, very critical eyes to dissect every single frame of this incredibly interesting, unique uh, cinematic experience. I mean, to talk about a cinematic match. This whole thing. Uh, and that is up on their fa- Patreon. Patreon.com slash up next. Support our friends at the BDE. This is almost two hours of you three dissecting this movie. I think it's longer than the movie. It, it is. It's an hour and a half long. And our discussion goes beyond that. So there's a lot to talk about. Well, go check that out. Patreon.com slash up next with the birthday boy, Braden Harrington. Oh, he had plenty of white claws apparently this weekend. Oh, not just that. <laughs> I don't really want to like, um, like you know, because I'm sure they'll talk about this on their show this week. But let me just say, uh, cameo has been a wonderful <laughs> invention of for for the world of celebrity this. and the world of professional wrestlers. And 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 Braden Harrington received a number of cameos from uh, members of the professional wrestling world uh, that I, he and Davey will talk about. I'm sure this week. You know, before I went away this weekend, I went online and. I was going to order him like uh, a six pack of White Claws to get delivered. And the LCBO website, they do deliver alcohol, but it takes five to six days. Reasonable. I guess. Like it makes sense. Yeah. I thought maybe maybe there's like a, an express service during like this time. Like a prime? Like, prime for alcohol? Um, yeah. Like where where's like Uber drinks? Like does, does that exist that you could just order and send to people? Like I'm I wanted sure to send this to him does. like on his birthday. I'm sure like a local bar might, might do that, but okay. So you couldn't. So I couldn't, no. But I feel the thought is there and I know Braden doesn't listen to any of our shows. So Davey will probably relay this story to him. And uh, I thought of you, Braden. Well, I didn't even think of getting him anything. So you, uh, you win. I, I tried. Six pack of White Claw didn't happen. So. I sent him a text. <laughs> Good enough. All right. Raw we go into from Monday. And starting things off is Randy Orton, who comes out to talk about the rating from last week and the demo. I've been here for 20 years. Goes through all his nicknames. They're not very good when you look back in retrospect. The Apex Predator discusses his 13 world titles. And I've been part of some big groups in WWE history. I'm talking about heavyweight legacies like legacy the authority and evolution heavyweight kind of groups yeah um, yeah okay yeah they, they contained heavyweights yeah um he says that rock and austin can't hold a candle 
to his longevity and consistency, nor his accomplishments. He wants to become WWE champion again. Because, way he has won this WWE championship nine times, and he's got to make it double digits. I mean, it's certainly more than Rock and Austin, and I actually really like that form of, like, heel kayfabe logic coming from Randy Orton, you know, when talking about why he is better than Rock and Austin. I've been here longer than they have. I've won more belts than they have. Um, and, you know, certainly it's discounting a whole lot of other factors about what makes somebody successful. But as far as, you know, a heel, a heel's kayfabe logic, I, I thought it made great sense. I think it's um, perfect heel uh, verbiage mm-hmm. in this day and age where so often we talk about how the the Monday Night War is just that whole era of the Attitude Era is so lionized as the when wrestling was great that for someone to come out and rail against it and say I'm better than these people I think that's that's refreshing. I never left to do big budget Hollywood movies like like that guy look, did. Look at the shit on my IMDb. <laughs> uh, he wants to become WWE champion again. Ten years ago, Drew McIntyre was the chosen one, but he had his head up his ass and Drew got fired, which I think is the ammunition for every heel now that Drew faces that they have to bring up. You got fired. They called him. Okay, so Orton said uh, 10 years ago, he was the chosen one, but the only thing he chose to do was get fired. (laughs) (laughs) I missed I missed that. What a what a line. Yeah, it's like the, the ultimate humiliation for this baby face is that you had to go wrestle in TNA. <laughs> yeah. And somehow he fought his way back from NXT all the way up here. But he respects Drew after he beat Brock Lesnar. But the problem is that Drew has what Orton wants, and he wants a match at SummerSlam, and Drew will never see it coming when he hits the RKO. And that was our setup. And I guess we can uh, talk about off the top that when we went off last Monday, we were expecting a title match tonight between Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler. And then over the weekend, they made it very clear in the advertising, it would be a non-title match tonight. And I can only imagine that the thinking was that we want to make it crystal clear what the SummerSlam main event is on this show. And it makes no sense to build up Drew and Randy Orton throughout this show if there's even the thought of a title change at the end of the show, I'm trying my best to make sense of this. My counter would be it's Dolph Ziggler and there ain't a person in the world that would have been believing in a title change tonight. The whole promotion of this like Dolph Drew thing, I think has been really weird. And I don't know if it's simply because of like bad um, scripting or bad delivery or, or missed words, but like, why we, would Dolph want a rematch? Um, well, it was bothering him. Um, that he lost so badly, I suppose. But like last week, we, a lot of us thought Drew had said this match was going to take place in two weeks because that's what he said as he was leaving. But it turns out he was referring to two weeks about like the amount of time Dolph took to explain the stipulation. It's super confusing. And then like, you know, to it have... It shouldn't be. Like they tape these shows back to back on the same day. Like they should have known, okay, this is the main event of show number two and we got to build it up during show number one. Well, who knows how much was changed even prior, like, between these two shows, right? Um, But, yeah, I guess they really want people to know that this was not going to be a title match. And I don't know if it would make any difference, honestly. Probably minimal. Nia Jax came out next and pretty much just, like, tagged herself in to take her promo time. 
She said Randy woke up wanting to be Raw uh, WWE champion. She woke up and she wants to be the Raw Women's champion. And she got screwed out of her last match against Asuka due to the referee. And then Charlotte cut in line, but no one has seen Charlotte since. Shayna Baszler interrupts Jax and they get into a big brawl and the officials have to separate them. And that would set up a match for later in the show uh, with Nia's return here on the show. She's been off for several weeks. What was her last Since the Charlotte attack, I think, was the last time we saw her. The Charlotte attack? When Nia took out Charlotte. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was Charlotte's uh, write-off. Gotcha, gotcha. Nia killing her. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, no, this was fine, but man, and what a tough tough spot trying to follow up, like, like that Randy Orton promo. Um... I thought Orton like sounded really good, you know, um, start to finish great intensity talked about his entire career and then ends with that official challenge. Like I often wonder if crowds were there, how they would be treating Randy Orton right now. Certainly like, um, when he does things like, you know, attack the big show with a punt, um, it might elicit blues, but like it, 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 there are plenty of situations where I feel like he would be receiving a lot of cheers right now from certain crowds. You could run that risk. I mean, Orton is certainly that character. Like, he's this very captivating character that just kills dudes. And that can be a, a, a definite, you know, positive with the, with the crowd. Yeah. And the fact that um, they don't have crowds right now, really, they don't have to worry about that. The Bella Twins YouTube channel has reached 3 million subscribers. Are you one of them? Uh, I don't know if I am. I, I follow their Instagram, but not their Twitter. But, um, they did like a big celebration Zoom call with like a whole lot of people, including Stephanie McMahon. Oh, and I, I think like Bree's due date was like, yes, Monday. So I was going to say like, they're both, uh, Bree, Bree is due like several weeks earlier. So yeah, it could be, it could be any day now. Bree's due like not several yeah, several days earlier. So, like, like in the span of, like, this week, I think they're both due, I think. So, it could be any time. Wow. The Street Profits are in the ring to tee up the next match, and they're going to be the ring announcers. And they introduced the Viking Raiders as two guys Thor needed in Wakanda, and they would have stopped Thanos from wiping out half the population. Did you like that reference? Uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, I was going to say, though, had it been for the Viking Raiders, they would have cost Marvel how much by not needing Endgame? Um, yeah, probably billions, right? Yeah, so, uh, I don't. I, I think the movie turned out fine without the Viking Raiders. Yeah, but this is this could be <laughs> on that 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 series. Uh, the, the what what's if it called the what, what if, if series? Yes. What if Eric and Ivar made it to Wakanda? Then they brought out the Flyboys, Ricochet and Cedric, the sports entertainer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Followed by everyone's least favorite telenovela, Andrade and Angel Garza. And they argued over the pronunciation of Zelina versus Selena Vega. Um, I, I know, like, <laughs> when you repeat it, it sounds like the corniest, shittiest thing. But like when they did it, I actually really liked it, you know, uh, and I like the role for the Street Profits here, like by letting them, you know, do the ring introductions here. It gives them a bit more presence than just doing the ring announcing or sorry, the commentary. And it showcases their charisma, which um, I thought you magnificently like 
Um, Are you telling me that the I, can, I can take natural humor <laughs> and just destroy it with my re- repetition? I think that's just, the, I, to me, it shows, you know, it's not just the words on the script, but the way that you say it. Because I think when you read the words on paper, yeah, this is pretty awful. I'd be an awful, awful WWE performer. <laughs> no, you'd be great. You'd be like I would take great. a semi-decent promo, and I'd be awful with it. <laughs> you'd be a perfect cynic. You know, you'd be a great cynical either heel or in my book, you'd be a baby face. You know, the guy who's super critical uh, and like just try, tries his best with this terrible verbiage. Like he complains about a script every day. Donnie Downer. I mean, my character. <laughs> but no, like to me, another pay-per-view it, in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> great. It, it, to me, this is a compliment for, for Ford and, and Dawkins with what they can do with this type of verbiage to make it actually sound compelling. So we had our three-way with the winning team advancing to challenge the Street Profits at SummerSlam, and we had the Street Profits on commentary. Ivar hit his love splash where he came off the ropes, nailing Andrade. Eric then drilled Garza with the double knees. We go to a commercial, come back. Eric and Ivar are getting stomped down on the floor by the telenovela. Andrade then hits the double knees on Eric, gets a two-count. This builds up to Ivar hitting a somersault dive off the top turnbuckle to Alexander, Ricochet, and Eric on the floor. And this leads to Alexander being sent into the ring, hit with the wing clipper, and Garza pins Alexander to set up a rematch from last week's show where the Street Profits beat Andrade and Angel Garza in a non-title match. So this will not be the first time I bring up some of these strange setups for title matches, but this is example one, um, a strange way to we, to where we got to. But if you have short-term memory to set up your challenges for SummerSlam. To be honest, I really have to like go back to my notes last week to see who won that match because I, I pretty much had forgotten. But it's absolutely strange that they had these guys, like they had the Street Profits beat this team a week ago. Especially strange when you consider that these two tapings took place on the same same, night. It's the same day. What the hell? It's like that match never happened. So the amount of inconsistency between the two, I really do not understand. Um, Otherwise, I thought this was a decent little TV match. Some nice entertaining high spots here. I thought the Profits were entertaining on commentary. Uh... But man, I thought the finish made Ivar look really dumb, eh? He like, took out his partner, yeah. Took out basically all the baby faces. Left yeah. the two guys that he probably wanted to attack the most. Uh, after the match, uh, they interviewed Ricochet, asked him about his latest pinfall loss. He said, hey, I'm not even supposed to be here. And I'm going to be here for a lot of years after this. I've already won, okay? We go to Garza and Andrade. Uh, they attacked the Prophets by the desk, and then they ran off. So that was our first match that is official for SummerSlam. Jax is then shown speaking with John Cone backstage, and then I don't know how... First of all, when you watch Raw or SmackDown, are you watching it on TV? Are you watching it on your computer? I'm watching it on my computer cast to my TV. Wow. Are you watching it on, on Sportsnet? Yes. Uh, okay. Do you do the same for AEW on TSN's uh, yeah. channel? Okay. I don't have cable. I, I have these channels through um, my laptop. Like okay. Through, through their over-the-top services, like TSN so, Go and Sportsnet Now. Yeah, okay. So I watch them the same way, and I watch them on my laptop. And it is such a difference. Because on Sportsnet's player, you can start whenever you want. 
You can rewind. You can like I can start as late as eight forty five. No problem. Oh, that's what I'll, I do. I'll, I'll catch up. Yeah. TSN. You cannot rewind. I know. I so, hate that. So I have to. This is why I had the the flip flop saga last week, and was like, it was crunch time. Like I had to be home by eight, or else I'm like behind. You have a DVR. I do, but I watch this in my office, so I don't. I don't watch it on my TV, so I don't even have it set to. Uh, record on oh. on my TV. So for that night, I mean, if I knew I was going to have this major issue, I would have taped it on my on my DVR. But it's just uh, like the two players. Like, how in this day and age can we not have a player where you can pause and where you can rewind? And it's the same. It's for UFC. I got to watch it on the TSN player as well. I- so it's very stressful to manage like your commercial break if you're someone taking notes or just want to like. Go to the washroom or something. You got to race back to because you can't pause or rewind if you miss something. I I mean, obviously for you and I, we and I'm sure anybody using it, we appreciate the fact that you can zip through commercials. But I think that is specifically what TSN wants you to avoid. The fact that they haven't in, implemented that in their system. They want people to sit through commercials. I'm sure that's the strategy, uh, but I don't think it's the a fun user experience when that's just standard for any video player. It sucks for podcasters. That's the that's the main thing they should worry about. Well, I just wanted to bring this up. Um, we had this awesome promo for NXT this week. You, Way, I know are someone that really enjoy all the nicknames for all of Love these it. wrestlers. Which, for those that miss SmackDown, yes, the bodacious barefoot bro is here to stay. Oh, God. I didn't even notice. Okay. <laughs> uh, he was identified as it on SmackDown. So for NXT this week, we've got a three-way match involving the extraordinary Finn Balor, yeah, the tortured artist Dexter Loomis, and my new okay. favorite, Jamesy's as well, the Professor of Pain, Timothy Thatcher. Oh, my. <laughs> the, to hear the three of them, one after the other, I mean, the extraordinary Finn Balor, whatever, that, that's fine. But to me, the Professor of Pain and the tortured artist. And then it just segues into what mind games does Karrion Cross have in store for Keith Lee? I mean, this was a an all-time WWE 30-second promo. Yeah, I can't imagine uh, somebody like James E. who's been, I mean, disappointed enough that, that uh, he's seen this version of his former favorite wrestler. Um, yeah, I don't know. Professor of Pain, honestly, it's not as bad as I was expecting. Like the bodacious barefoot bro. That one's really bad. Uh, or the dreadlock dynamo. Like, these ones, I wouldn't even want on a t-shirt, much less, like, said about, you know. Me. I can't wait till we get the Matt Riddle t-shirt, which is just going to be, like, a giant foot. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be something like that, yeah. But, man, they would make a killing if they sold flip-flops, wouldn't they? I'm sure you would want want, want a pair at this point. <laughs> you know what? Uh, those Those could sell very well. Uh, I didn't even put that together. The fact that uh, flip flops, there's a there's a gimmick for that now. Huge market out there. Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler had a very quick match where Baszler inserts her mouth guard and then gets dumped to the floor and they just brawled around the ring. They were counted out in 44 seconds. The officials had to try and get both women apart. Baszler applied the Kirafuda clutch onto one of the officials and then Pat Buck gets in between them. Of course, he's not identified by name, so it just became this fun game of how the announcers could call this without identifying him. So Saxton referred to this WWE official, which was 
taught by Tom Phillips saying that Nia Jax has attacked this man. <laughs> this man. It's like this random person that's just run into the middle. Um, and so Jax Pat- then knocks Baszler off the apron and they had the big pull apart. So Pat Buck was one of the people that was let go. and then He, he was, was furloughed. He was furloughed and then brought back. I see. Well, good for him. Now, now uh, being a part of this as well. I, I would think that once, whenever they get back to live events, like you're going to need producers. And mm-hmm. I would imagine a lot of those agents that were furloughed, you would think that they, I, I would think like a decent amount of them would be brought back at that time. It's just uh, given the circumstances right now, they're either not needed as much or just, you know, it is, you know, a, a cost situation. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I would think at some point, a lot of them probably end back mm-hmm. in the company. Yeah, because, you know, this is a somewhat higher caliber match between Nia and, and Shayna here. I'm glad to see them spend a bit more time building to it than uh, just throwing it out on a random edition of Raw, which they were kind of teasing us with here. So I don't really feel too duped with this one. It's not like they promoted this match a week in advance. This was just their way of building to a bigger one. And we can talk about the, the women's title direction after this, but could you could you see this held off till SummerSlam, or do you think this is something they're going to get done on television? It's it's honestly hard to say because it's a, it's a whole... How many weeks? One, two, three. Three Four. weeks. Okay, not three. that much. Okay, We got three more episodes of Raw to go before SummerSlam, so it's really not, not a whole lot, so I can see them holding it back, actually. Yeah, I didn't even realize it was uh, that, that few shows. Rollins and Ray, we had a recap, and we come out of the recap where the camera is right in Rollins' eye to zoom out. He thinks that Dominic is going to show up tonight. Murphy is looking all worried, and he says, not to worry, Murph. The greater good will move forward. Is that their official name? What name? The greater good. Um, perhaps, yeah. If they said it more than once, then yes. Rollins has definitely said it more than once, but it's 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 strange to me why like why why they never like why WWE refu- refuses to acknowledge or at least like try to come up with like official names for a lot of their factions. You know, like we mentioned, like Zelina's faction still doesn't have a name. Uh, Ricochet and Cedric, we could start calling them the Fly Boys, but I think that was just you know uh, like the the Street Profits nickname for them. But we we do of- have the Hurt Business. Yes, even that is not is that even officially recognized. I mean, they've been really like driving it home in their promos. Um, but it's not like they've released, you know, merch for them, or at least not yet, you know? Because the merch business is hurting right now. <laughs> Ruby Riot and Bianca Belair, completely random shot where they are backstage with Mark Henry imparting wisdom. And the instructions for Ruby Riot and Bianca Belair were, look like you are receiving wisdom. <laughs> And that was it. Yeah, and that was the wisdom. It brought up what we discussed last week where why was Ron Simmons here? And maybe he's here for the second taping to do something. No sign of Simmons this week. And this week we had uh, Mark Henry of Austin, Texas, who was just here. Okay. So um, was Simmons supposed to be there for something else? I guess so. Like it was, it just seems like that, that was, uh, that was out there that he was there for some angle that I guess they just decided against because there was no sign. There there was no appearance from him tonight for the second taping or even a mention of him. He was just kind of there just like Mark Henry was kind of here tonight. 
Henry could have been the same. Maybe he was supposed to be involved with something, and then at the last minute they decided to change it. Who knows? And they felt like, oh, we flew you all the way out here. We should probably put you in something. You are going to impart wisdom onto <laughs> Ruby Ride and Bianca Belair. Okay, well, what do you want me to tell them? You will not be heard is going to be shown <laughs> while music is playing. You are going to convey with your eyes this wisdom. Just, okay, then. Yeah. yeah, just talk about, you know, the, the lunch that you had. Catering. That would have been awesome if during this, there, the, <laughs> the words he's actually mouthing is that I just came back from catering and they've got ribs. <laughs> and Ruby's just, oh, ribs. We love ribs. Who doesn't? You know, for all the talk about everyone in catering that they've been bringing up on TV as the sign of your placement in this company, do you think they're doing catering right now? Oh, yeah, I would think so. I mean, some of these are pretty long days. I'm yeah, sure but I mean, just from the, the sanitary right. aspect of that, I You I can give out individual portions, which is, I think, what a lot of places might be doing. Like, they're not doing buffet style, but just like, you know, individual kind of takeout boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would imagine it's just like a like I'm sure people are being fed, obviously, but you probably have to do you know certain precautions uh, from usual. Uh, Rollins, <laughs> that, we got a lot more discussion out of this imparting wisdom segment than I thought. Sure, this is what Mark Henry and Ruby Riot and uh, Bianca were talk- talking about. Rollins and Murphy come out, and Rollins talks about the role he's on, beating Ray, beating Alistair Black. But all these people have had to get hurt in his in his way. Owens broke his ankle. Ray Ray lost his eyeball. <laughs> and now Alistair Black has injured his arm. And Rollins doesn't want to be the person that hurts people. Oh, goodness. I don't want violence. And he has a soft spot for the Mysterio family. So he invites Dominic out to talk this out. Now, the highlight of this promo was the heckler that they had in the crowd. And again, this is... Maybe this is the same dude who yelled out eye for an eye last week, but there was a heckler throughout this because when Seth told Dominic to come out and let's talk this out, this dude yells, take his eye out. This heckler's great. And it could, it could be more than one person, you know, like this heckler could be infecting the other people to speak out, but Please push this guy, okay? He's my favorite. He's my favorite new star that they've created. Whoever this guy is at the performance center, give this guy a huge push. He deserves it. He's been very entertaining. Dominic walks out, and Seth promises not to hurt him as he welcomes him into the ring. Seth wants a hug, but Dominic tackles him down to the floor, and then Murphy goes after him, and he gets reversed. Dominic's on top, driving him with with punches, and then. Both team up and attack Dominic on the floor, run him into the barricade, and Rollins yells, what is wrong with you and your whole family? Dominic's selling the beatdown, and then Seth just looks at the steps, and he says, it's not my fault, channeling Gene Snitsky. When Alistair Black runs out to help him, and he's got his arm bandaged up from last week, and he gets beaten down by Murphy and Rollins, ending with Rollins hitting the stomp. And then Rollins tells Murphy, you know what you have to do. Are you in this for real? And he slaps Murphy. And Murphy takes Alistair Black's limp body and drives his eye into the corner of the steps as Alistair Black says goodbye to his eye. This was the end of Tommy's eye. 
Tommy's eye. Tommy and its eye. Yes. Yes. Got it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So they did the eye thing again. We did not see the actual eyeball this time, but I mean, you would assume it, it was a pretty severe injury to the man. Uh, I don't know. But he he can't come back for for a while after this. I don't think he should. I mean, not without an eye patch. This is the new punt. This is uh, yeah. you know the eye. It is. Yeah. I have to say, I I I think you're going to disagree with me. I think plenty of listeners are going to disagree with me. But I've di- totally turned a corner on this Seth Rollins thing. He has been so committed to this act, this cult leader thing, this eye gouging thing that I've gotten into it. I enjoyed Seth here, and I liked Murph- Murphy's role as well as the guy who. You know, has like somehow found himself in this cult. Now he's at the point of no return, and he too now is taking eyeballs out. So I like that. I liked how like you know the lighting went from like a spotlight when it was just Rollins talking, extending the hug to Dominic, and then as soon as Dominic went for the double leg, like they went to like full lighting. So you know some some theater here, some real production here in this, John. Um, can, can you at least can you at least meet me halfway? And tell me that you enjoyed this attack on Aleister Black a bit more because no one vomited afterwards. <laughs> I think I would have enjoyed it even more. Because uh, I'll say, like, I'm kind of half watching this like Freddy got fingered. Like, um, <laughs> it's not even like a so bad it's good type of thing, but it's like it's so ridiculous it's good type of thing. Like, when they went for Aleister Black's eye again... Like in the corner, I like I just laughed. I'm like, awesome, wicked. I love this corner steps eye thing. Let's let's show me like the fake eyeball. Give it to me. Like I'm that's if there was vomit in this. Oh man, I'd probably rate this a ten out of ten. Raw. I I I didn't mind this angle at all. This was to me a much more. Um, I I think Rollins. This was one of his better. Uh, promos, uh, which I have not been high on throughout this whole Monday Night Messiah run, and I think this was closer to that first attack they did on Ray, which was done very serious to get a lot of heat on Seth, and I think that that was kind of a continuation here uh, with, with Alistair Black. Um, I also thought, like, listen, th- this he's very, very inexperienced, but I think if you can get by the visual of Dominic taking down Seth Rollins, it's a hard visual to get over. But I think Dominic did very well in this for someone very inexperienced that had to sell effectively um, and play this role. I just don't know what this ultimately leads to. If it's a match, even a tag match, I think it is hard to take Dominic on the level of these guys. It's like it's a, there's just such a disparity. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they booked him pretty strong. I, I'll say, like you know, for uh, somebody who was supposed to be a civilian without really all that much training, he, he had great like facial reactions to everything, like more than a lot of performers have at at that stage. Yeah, yeah, and I think by the time it, it comes for them to do that tag match, I feel like they will be able to do a good enough job of convincing people that this will be you know a, a believable heated match. Yeah, and again, this was um, yeah, no, no Kevin Owens this week, much like last week as well, and he's kind of tied to this story. Um, hmm. So anyway, that was uh, that was that segment. I I I don't disagree with you. Like I I I didn't mind the segment uh, too much either, but I think it does kind of take Alistair Black out of the equation, and I'm surprised they're taking anybody off. T- if Alistair Black, unless he has some like lingering injury or something, I don't know why you'd be 
actively taking people off TV right now. I think he's going to just keep coming back. I mean, we thought last week was the, the write-off because he broke his arm, right? He comes back this week with the arm sling. Next <laughs> oh, week, his legs come, next. His legs. He's getting run over by a car next week. He's going to come back with the eye patch next week. Yeah, he's just going to be like. By the end of this, he'll be like, <laughs> it'll just be a running gag. He'll be Kenny. He literally will need to be propped up for that entrance where he, they like lift him up from from his back. That's right. He won't be able to stand on his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dom uh, then attacked him with a, uh, all of them with a kendo stick and went wild. Uh, the highlight, Samoa Joe always gets in like one really good line per show. And as Dominic is destroying these guys with kendo sticks, Joe just yells, rumble, young man, rumble. <laughs> I love Joe. He's my mm. favorite commentator in wrestling right now. He's Tim great. and Jericho. Mustafa Ali is with R-Truth. And R-Truth is asking Ali if he's going to go after the 24-7 title. He says, no, I'm focused on Bobby Lashley. Truth is going to get his baby back and tells Ali, I've got my eyes on you. Mufasa. Mufasa, yeah. So uh, I didn't even realize last week, but yeah, the guy has his first name back. Yes, he did get Mustafa back. Mm-hmm. So not only did Raw trade for Ali, but they got a first name for future considerations. Um. Yeah, I wonder who, I mean, for future considerations. So Does somebody, SmackDown get anything back for Ali, or is this going to be one of those, like, we don't even acknowledge it roster moves? It'll probably be one of those. We had the VIP lounge with MVP, Bobby Lashley, and Shelton Benjamin in the ring. And MVP talks about Mustafa Ali, who is chasing the light. MVP wants to show him the light. So out comes Ali, and... MVP says, this is where made men congregate. And Ali and his little friends, Ali says that him and his little friends have put the hurt business out of business. Ali says he's happy. I'm happy to be back on Raw. I am happy to finally climb the ladder and become a real champion. And he jumped onto the couch yelling about being happy like he was Tom Cruise with Oprah. And then he jumped onto the couch. I didn't even uh, remember that. But yeah, he did like a kid. He was excited. <laughs> he jumped on the couch. MVP warns him that Apollo <laughs> Crews went the same direction. He's now at home on the couch. And he's not jumping on the couch. He's laying on the couch. And he gives Ali the option. You can be a champion or chum in the water for these predators. R-True shows up out of nowhere. Tackles Shelton to the floor and gets a two count and then just runs away. And we get Bobby Lashley versus Mustafa Ali. You know, I was happy to see Ali got some spotlight here, uh, not just in the VIP lounge, but also with the Papa John's uh, thing profile, the Papa John's profile. Uh, I, I didn't think, however, it was a segment that really showcased like his very real, usually very compelling voice and story. Unfortunately, like it just made him sound like any other guy doing a scripted WWE promo here. And I think seeing the way he was booked in the end of this match it's exactly what he was probably supposed to sound like because any of my beliefs that they were going to try to give this guy a serious push, I feel like they they were pretty much dashed by the end of this match. Yeah, Papa John's was all over this show. They're a lead sponsor. He's had... uh, Papa John has had its controversies over the last few years for Mm -hmm. inappropriate slurs. Uh, Bobby Lashley and Mustafa Ali had their match here. Akira Tozawa and the ninjas showed up uh, with Tozawa trying to pin Shelton Benjamin. Uh, They destroyed the ninjas. 
Is this the worst gimmick of 2020? Oh, man. Or are there worse? Uh, worst gimmick. I mean, is Shorty G considered? Oh, that was last year, right? That to me is a 2019 bad gimmick. Yeah, got it. Um, well, the year's still pretty much only halfway through, so. You're right. You're right. We have time. But so they far, maybe. are probably the leading contender. Could be. Ali landed a dive on Lashley. This is after he's being destroyed by Lashley throughout most of the match. We go through the commercial break. Right after this comeback, Lashley's back in control when we come back. Uh, Ali got nailed in his ribs, and there is a big red mark on his chest. He stops the Dominator, landing on his feet, hits a beautiful Tornado DDT, then misses the 450 and runs at Lashley, who catches him with the full Nelson, and Mustafa Ali, his second week back, taps out, and this would be example number two, where the guy pins the U.S. champion last week. And before we even go to the title match, we, we really don't even need the title match. Uh, I was flabbergasted, you know. You re-debut re a guy after a seven-month month layoff. And, you know, by all accounts, if this guy was supposed to be the hacker, it at least tells you that they were going to be serious about pushing him. Give him a win over MVP. Okay, great. Sets him up for a U.S. title shot. And then just the very next week, he... He basically gets beat up for 95% of this match against Bobby Lashley. He hits one offensive move, okay, that Tornado DDT. But then he just taps out clean. So I, I don't know what kind of matchmaking this is. He didn't even escape one day of TV tapings without without being shoved back down to the bottom of the card. Um, I don't understand at all. Papa John can't be happy. Yeah, it was just perplexing. Like either, like why put him over MVP last week? and. I'd argue the other way. I had no problem with him beating MVP last week. And like that, it, it's a larger issue of these guys that just, they cannot even get out of the first gear in terms of how the audience perceives them. I think you can look at examples like Matt Riddle. It's like, he's up less than a month. We've got to beat him. Mustafa Ali's back for a couple of hours and we've got to beat him. And you know, all these, like we got to heat up Andrade and Garza. Let's beat him the week before. It's just like, the fact that they're all happening in the same day as well, it's just like th th there's a reason that you see a Mustafa Ali and, you know, a finish like this, it just kind of tells you, OK, I know where to slot this guy in my in the hierarchy mm -hmm. where he is. He's at a level uh, and I don't there's no even argument to do a title match now unless it's very watered down uh, at this point. Charlie is backstage with, with Dolph Ziggler, who's birthday was today you have any guess how old Dolph Ziggler turned today I saw your report oh damn you shouldn't be reading my reports <laughs> it, it takes away from the spontaneity of me quizzing you Dolph turned 40 today yeah Dolph few, Ziggler is 40 few other birthday boys today hangman page uh 29 mm -hmm. and I don't even have to tell you this one because the entire NXT roster sent out their birthday wishes to Paul Levesque who is 51, I believe. Something like that, sure. Something like that. So there you go. Some of the birthdays today. Uh, Ziggler said he didn't know what the stipulation was, but he's going to win the title at SummerSlam. All right. I guarantee. Wait, wait. So, so that makes... He was thinking that he was going to beat Drew here to get a title shot? Yes. So that was his logic. Yet, like, at the beginning of Drew's match, he just comes out and says, okay, I'm going to make it official. It's me versus Randy. Yeah, like, Drew literally took this. Just ignored like, him. He, 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 like, it wasn't even like he beat Drew or beat Dolph and then 
addressed Randy Orton, which would have made a hell of a lot more sense, I think, just for the actual drama of the match. Then you can't do the RKO out of nowhere. I guess so. Um, Because you only have three weeks left to do that. You gotta do it now. (laughs) Sure. I don't know. Whatever. It was fine. Banks and Bailey come out. They call Stephanie McMahon a bully. And they go over the Extreme Rules match between Asuka and Banks and Bailey's role in it. And Asuka will be the Empress of Nothing. So Asuka's out with Kairi Sane, who then chases Bailey to the back. And we get Asuka versus Sasha to determine the Raw Women's Champion, where the title can change hands on a disqualification or a countout, in addition to pin or submission. And, I mean, certainly Sasha Banks is not shy about the influence of Eddie Guerrero, but they pretty much got to play Kurt Angle and Eddie Guerrero in a lot of spots in this. Yeah, I guess so, with with the ankle lock and... The counters. Uh, some of the other and, spots, yes. Um, Banks grabs her t- titles and throws the tag title in. This is the extreme rule spot to distract the referee, who, of course, like falls for this. And then tosses the women's title at Asuka, the famous Eddie spot, to try and get Asuka disqualified. But the ref doesn't fall for this. So Banks turns around into a head kick, and we go to a commercial. The story of this match is Banks working over the left leg of Asuka and... Asuka trying to fight back. She missed a hip attack, and Banks then slid to the floor, yanked her by the leg, dropping Asuka down on the leg. And Asuka fires back with this flying knee bar, counters to the ankle lock, and she would consistently go for this ankle lock that Banks would get to the rope countless times over. There was a Meteora attempt hit with the the code breaker by Asuka. Banks then knocks her down, hits the frog splash, gets a two count right into the bank statement. And then Banks kicks off the bottom rope to try and flip Asuka into the center of the ring. But in doing so, it's countered into the Asuka lock. And then Asuka is tossed to the floor and Asuka's knee is driven into the desk and they do the count out tease. And as they're doing this count out, all I could hear was waiting in my head saying 20 counts are so much better. It would have been, yeah. Um, Imagine if they got to 19. Um, the non-existent crowd would have been losing it. I, I, I do wonder if there's um, if, how that would work for a TV. I mean, I don't think it would make any difference. You know, even if you did do a 22 count. I mean, in fact, it would probably help. Just allow them to take more time. But yeah, 20 counts are way better. Then on the screen, we see Bailey attacking Kyrie Sane by this garage door. And it's right as Asuka's going to apply the Asuka lock, but she can't focus on Sasha because Kyrie's head is getting rammed into the door. And Kyrie yells out a scream for Asuka, and Asuka just can't s- stay in the ring. She limps her way to the back while Sasha is out cold, and the count begins, and Sasha, while unconscious, wins the title by countout. And Asuka makes her way to the back. Bailey takes off, and Asuka is there with the fallen Kyrie Sane as Bailey goes back to celebrate with Sasha, who is now the Raw Women's Champion. And this served the function of changing the title and putting all the belts onto Bailey and Sasha. And this is our write off of Kyrie Sane. Yeah, it is. After after she Beating beat Bailey, the champion last week. On the same taping day. She beat Bailey, um, like, relatively clean, too, right, if I recall? Yeah. Right? Yeah, so she beat, and I guess, see, like, in the end, what what really was that done for? Um, I mean, one, I, I, I suppose to motivate Bailey to attack her, but you didn't even need that. 
because Bailey was dragged to the back by Kyrie. Um, so you, it's just a, a smart ploy by the heels to get the count out victory. Uh, yeah, yeah. In, in this particular match. Yeah. Right. But like last week was like, it makes you wonder why they decided to give Kyrie the win other than, could it be anything other than them wanting to just give a nice gesture for a performer before they leave? Nah, I'm not, I think there's ways you could have done that without beating a champion where I think it's nowhere. I think it's absolutely silly if that is the case. Cause I think it makes your champion look weak and your belt should not be used to give nice gestures. You can give the person a watch. Okay. Give him a Rolex. Don't give him a win over your champion on TV and have a, have no payback for it after the fact. I'm so, with you. So I don't understand that booking at all. Um, now, getting back to the match, I thought it was a very good match. Um, I, I enjoyed the Extreme Rules match a bit more, but I thought this was very good, especially for TV. The amount of submission exchanges that these two had were beautiful. Some great transitions from the bank statement to the ankle lock and the ask, ask lock and vice versa. Of course, I think a lot of people are going to hate this finish. Because number one, it wasn't clean. Secondly, it involves a title. For the sake of story, I really don't mind it. I think it sets up Asuka for a much more heated chase for the belt later on in a bigger match, probably at SummerSlam. And Bailey and Sasha are really hot right now. So you keep this, this thing going on for several more weeks rather than just ending the story here. My my one complaint is that, you know, for what what is supposed to be, uh, you know, will we'll, I think later be said, uh, you know, supposed to be a career ending injury or so, uh, something that will write Kyrie off from the company. I thought Bailey's attack looked a little weak to me. Um, I'd, I wonder how they'll explain it. Maybe they'll use the fact that Kyrie's, you know, been concussed in the past as a way to explain it. But visually, I, I was expecting something of, of a bit more serious magnitude. And what was up with like the video feed going up with no explanation, you know? There's a very simple way of fixing that, and, that, and that's just to have Bailey be the one to initiate the, the distraction. Just be like Bailey saying, you know, hey, cameraman, turn, put this on. Hey, Asuka, watch this while I do this. Oh, the hacker, of course. Yes. So Mustafa Ali being so pissed off after the loss. he If for nothing else, the hacker gimmick should be there to just fill in logic gaps. Sure. Something like that. Um, Coming out of this, I mean, I, I definitely can see, like, the negativity towards the finish, but I'm kind of curious what this leads to because coming out of this, and I have I I don't know what the direction is for for Bailey or Sasha at SummerSlam, but after watching this, I could certainly see like you've done Sasha and Oscar several times now. Oscar should be going for revenge against Bailey, and that could be your one match. It's it's like a bit of a fresh match for those two, and with Sasha, I could see like what do you think about this this left field? decision because I don't know what babyface you have primed for Sasha Banks. I can't see Shayna Baszler or Nia Jax taking on Sasha. And the person who kind of looks like has egg on their face after this match is Stephanie McMahon. Could you see that being a direction for Sasha for SummerSlam? That match? Oh my God. I that was the if... only person I could think of coming out of this. Like, they have introduced her into the storyline. They outsmarted Stephanie, which is not something they typically do on Stephanie. And Holy what shit. other baby face could you see for Sasha at a big show? I mean, I, I certainly don't know if I, I would call Stephanie a baby face at, at, at this point. I mean, certainly in terms of the way he, she was portrayed last week, I guess you can say that. But how bad did, would that make her look? Hey, I tried to book a match that was fair. I ended up not succeeding. So I'm going to book myself in the title match so that I can win the belt instead. That to me is not a babyface move. 
I think there's ways you can do it. Um, the, uh, the fact that they brought her up in the promo beforehand, like again, I, I I'm just throwing like so, an idea. So why, out there. why not just do the rematch with Oscar? I think I think you've hit. I think you've got to do Bailey at this point. That she's the one that took out Kyrie. I think that's where you have to go with Oscar after this. And I think that there's you've just done two matches between them. I you're going to do another one for SummerSlam this quick trilogy, unless it's Oscar like in some weird like three way with the with the two where it's it's something like it's it's like both titles are on the line or something like that. Because I there's really no other babyface but Oscar at this point who's at that that level like. Um, yeah, I feel like you could do the rematch with Asuka for SummerSlam before you have Asuka. I don't know if she can go for Bailey as the champion, um, or she just like kind of moves on after that by getting getting a, a some semblance of reven- revenge on Bailey via the match with with uh, with Sasha somehow. Because um, I just what if it's she... Stephanie and Asuka together? That's super weird. Um, I. It honestly, John, anything is possible, and and what you say does like actually make some sense because you know Sasha did bring up Stephanie again on the in, in her promo again today, but God, like Stephanie McMahon wrestling in a singles match for a WWE Championship to me seems to go completely against whatever this woman's revolution should should stand for. I think only Stephanie only works in a heel capacity. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, this is a, a SummerSlam, though. It's like they do not have their big female stars, and I could see them leaning on a Stephanie to do this match, who has been... I mean, uh, listen, she's always positioned as, you know, the, the top female executive in this company. Um, not anyway. a wrestler, but... Yeah. T- if, you t- if you take out Stephanie from the mix, what, what are some alternatives you see? And you um, take out Asuka from the mix? Uh, you can keep Oscar there. Like Oscar's got to be in something prominent for for SummerSlam. The question is with who or what in what combination. Yeah, on Raw, really, you don't have any baby faces that I think, other than Oscar, that that I think would fit that. Unless you you turn Shayna uh, prior to you know after this this Nia feud, but like you, Ruby's not ready. Um, you know, Liv Morgan's not around. Uh, Natalia doesn't seem to be. She hasn't um, been on TV yet. recently, and nor do I think she would be ready for that spot. Uh, and by she then. had just turned heel; like she's oh, that's in, right. She's in a heel role as well. Like they, they're very heavy on on heels, and with baby faces, like it's it's Oscar, Alexa, Nikki Cross as your main ones, and then the next level below are your Biancas and and Rubies, who are just kind of, I mean, they they've largely just been introduced or reintroduced. Yeah, the depth issues right now uh, seem to be more on on the Raw side of things rather than SmackDown for the women's division. Um, Afterwards, uh, Kyrie posted, My time in the NXT and WWE locker rooms was incredible. Everyone was kind, funny, and talented, so every day was full of happiness. Also, I was saved by the supportive staff behind the scenes. I will forever love and respect all these professionals I had the pleasure of working with. I was able to accomplish so much in the last three years, but it wasn't because of my ability or my strength. It It was because of... All of the constant warm support from the fans. I am so thankful I could meet you all. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, Kyrie Sane. I'm really sad to see her go. Honestly, um, she she was one of the best wrestlers in the entire company, and I don't think we ever really got to see her full like potential um, in on the main roster. But let's be glad we she had such an amazing run down in NXT, um, and. You know that that she had any sort of run at all because um, she she was fantastic anytime she was put in that spotlight. 
Charlie had the medical update that Sane is being evaluated. Bailey and Banks walked in, gloating, holding up all their titles. And then after they left, Asuka came out of the trainer's room and just screamed in Japanese, which um, I tried to translate. It went something to the effect of, that was Kyrie Sane's write-off, and now we've got to figure out the SummerSlam title picture by next week. <laughs> yes. I think that's what she said, but I'm a little rusty with my Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, she, she, she was like, she had tears coming out here. So um, it was definitely like, this is supposed to be Asuka's big, like, you know, um, Infinity War conclusion. Like her friend, her best friend was snapped. And when now, I saw Asuka's face, I was with you, where it was almost as though it wasn't uh, enough of an um, attack to explain, like, she's gone. Like, mm-hmm. it was almost, I mean, th- that's one thing, like, on this show now, we have gone so wild with, like, ideas and injuries. Her eyeball eyeballs. should have been taken out. Well, it's like, Clearly. you have introduced all this stuff now that you're not going to have the same reaction when someone's head is thrown into a wall. Yeah, I uh, maybe they'll explain concussions. You know that that might be some some something bigger, but I, I I don't know. Maybe they maybe they did have to actually actually take precautions with Kyrie, or they didn't want her to do something that I don't know. Who knows? But uh, you know, I, I thought Asuka's like reaction to it felt very serious. I I I also really like the detail of her not just like running to the back while still selling the leg. I thought that was great from Asuka. Yep. But yep. I also loved how Kyrie was screaming specifically for Asuka, which I think to me gave enough justification for why Asuka would give up this match to go and help her friend. I, I mean, agreed. I thought that was a, a wonderful touch that they put in there that, yeah, like why would this woman walk out on this championship? It's like her best friend is screaming for help. This is someone that put her friend ahead of the title. And it I wasn't think, any regular beatdown. It was like a beatdown where she was specifically calling for that person's help. Mm-hmm. And you and you could also like build upon this that she was too late and it cost her friend her career. Yes, absolutely. Thanos snapped. You should have called the Viking Raiders. There you go. Uh, they ran a memorial spot for Regis Philbin, uh, who died over the weekend, and all of his uh, his history interviewing uh, so many wrestlers on his show. And I mean, decades of interviewing Freddie Blassie back to his, you know, when he was getting his start um, on television. I didn't realize he had like such a close connection with professional wrestling. I I mean, I'd always heard his name, you know, bandied about when when you're talking about like, I don't know, celebrity appearances associated with the WWE. But I didn't realize he was such a big fan. No, um, I mean, I I always knew he was... uh, a fan, but it was mainly like his connection with, with uh, Freddie Blassie. But I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. Like there's a generation of people that will always associate him with, you know, with, with Regis and Kathy Lee and lady later Kelly Ripa. But um, I think for, especially for anyone our age or over, like when who wants to be a millionaire hit That's in like 99, right? yes. like that show was enormous. Like mm-hmm. it was the biggest show on television. And he was the host. I, I I almost forgot about that. You're right. Murphy and Umberto Carrillo had a uh, our next match where Carrillo sent him to the floor, landed a suicide dive. Uh, fast forward here. Carrillo came off the top into a flying knee and was hit with Murphy's Law in 637. So Murphy gets the win. And it seemed that tonight was um, kind of a renewed 
push for Murphy with the big angle and then going over Carrillo here in pretty emphatic fashion. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought it was a good match. The, uh, what I was disappointed by was that it didn't necessarily build on the story that, you know, of like Murphy having to dig so deep into like his dark side to like execute this Alistair Black, you know, stairs thing. Like, I didn't get a sense that he was really any different now after taking Black's eye out. Um, it that seemed... usually takes a week to fully process what you've done to a man. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Because, like, you know, uh, to me, I feel like it, it should signify some sort of character change. Like, he should wrestle a different style. He should be doing darker shit. And he wrestled like it was 205 Live here, like it was any other match. Does this set up Umberto for a U.S. title shot? <laughs> of course. Drew McIntyre comes out ahead of the main event to address Randy Orton and says, <laughs> this is more funny after that Ziggler promo that really had no business being on this show about going to SummerSlam. He says, it's official. It's me and Orton at SummerSlam. Once I get over this dork, he says, I don't have the pedigree that Randy does. He's firing on all cylinders and Randy is the biggest threat to my title. And he hopes that Orton underestimates him just like Brock did. And he kicked Brock's ass in five minutes at WrestleMania. And unlike the RKO, Orton will see the Claymore coming. There was a scene prior before commercial where uh, Drew was talking to Mark Henry. Oh, so he got two segments on this show. Yeah. So was did he have wisdom left over from Ruby and Bianca to impart on Drew? He must have. Oh. Yeah. Ziggler comes out and asks what the stipulation is. Drew has spent all this time thinking about the stipulation. It's going to be an extreme rules match, but it will be for both of us. So, so, so extreme rules, is there a way of saying no DQ now, or is it just for this month and a half? It's for this pay-per-view cycle, which extends for another eight days after the pay-per-view. I see. Okay. So that was it. My question would be, if he had announced um, career match, hair match, um, eye for an eye. Hair match. Wow. Why would Ziggler accept if if it was anything that had significant stakes attached to it? Like, what was in it for him here? Was well, a title shot at SummerSlam? Was Ziggler taken off the table? Yeah, Ziggler already accepted. He was begging for the match, right? He just, I, I think, J the, just for personal pride to beat this guy. I, I mean, that's we've that's learned that winning a non-title match means nothing in this company, so he can't even bank on that. I think it's uh, personal pride seems to make sense. He seemed pretty depressed about the loss. So um, Ziggler gets thrown into the plexiglass and it breaks and the kendo stick is back uh, after Dominic had destroyed the last one. And uh, Drew is just destroying this guy. He wraps the kendo stick around his mouth and runs Ziggler into the post. He pulls out chairs and tables. He was launching these chairs into the ring and this referee looked like, dude, settle down. Uh, finally, Ziggler hit a low blow to get some brief offense in. He attacked Drew with the kendo stick, but then Ziggler came off the apron, was caught, and Drew tackled him through the barricade to set up our commercial break. We come back. Drew hit a superplex. The Claymore gets countered with the zigzag for a two count, and then Drew hits the Claymore, sending this dude through a table in the corner, and he pins him to end this feud, unless Dolph wants to triple down and try and get another uh, rematch out of this. I will say, I think these two have very good chemistry. I think where... Where this fails is that Dolph Ziggler is just 
he was given nothing in this entire program. And even tonight, they weren't even going to let this match build up for one night. They were, everything was set on SummerSlam. So this guy had to play the lame duck opponent for Drew McIntyre for the last five weeks. And that's my biggest complaint about this. But in terms of a match, I think these two work fine together. Very well, in fact. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, it was very hard hitting. Uh, like when, you know, they wanted to deliver a, a no DQ match. I thought they they really delivered in terms of intensity, in terms of like the amount of punishment both men took. Um, so if you got your if you like, you know, decided to tune into the show, you would have been satisfied. The question is, how many people would have decided to tune in to another Drew's uh, Drew McIntyre Dolph Ziggler match? It's it's a really tough question, and it, or it's a really tough demand for your audience to want to see this again. When initially it's just like it's just not an attractive matchup on paper because Dolph Ziggler's character is so damaged at this point. Um, to profile him consistently in these high profile main events, I think, I you know it's it, it fills up TV time, delivers good matches for Drew, but I can't imagine many people like being interested enough to even watch watch this I guess in great numbers um yeah sorry did did you talk about the post match angle I'll get to it so so as this match is happening I'm writing up the the story for the site that like Orton and Drew is official and I'm trying to I want to get this done before you and I have to record so I start writing it in the middle of the match so I know what's going to happen mm-hmm. so I just oh, you I literally just wrote it out as on Monday show, McIntyre defeated Dolph Ziggler in an Extreme Rules match, which was a stipulation which doesn't blah, blah, blah. So I write that. The match ends just as I had written. And then Drew's like in the ring. So I'm like, after the match, McIntyre was celebrating inside the ring when Orton appeared from behind and hit the RKO. <laughs> and dude, like clockwork, it fucking happened. And I was just thought it was hilarious. Uh, and that's what happened. Orton came from behind, uh, hit a bit of a clunky RKO, and then just stood staring at the title. And that's how the show ended. And if nothing else, you go off the show uh, knowing what the main direction is for SummerSlam, at least on the Raw side. Sometimes the most predictable path is is the right way to go, because certainly... Um, oh, dude, we all saw it coming. Certainly would have made more sense than, like, I don't know, having the dude... Beat the beat U.S. The champion guy. and then lose to his uh, <laughs> his second the next week. Yeah, um, totally beat unpredictable. the champion and then leave the company. <laughs> yeah, couldn't uh, couldn't have foreseen that. So, uh, you know, this is going to be the most high-profile feud of Drew's reign by far. It'll be a chance for him to cut promos against the promotion's best promo guy in Randy Orton. Uh, so we'll see how, how Drew fares. I think, you know, they're both really good promos. And to me, the struggle will be to make Drew, like, a, com- a compelling babyface against Randy Orton. Because what I talked about earlier, like, you have to try really hard not to cheer for Randy Orton at this point. And again, they're very great. They should be grateful that in some ways that they don't have these crowds because I feel definitely feel like after like, you know, seeing this RKO out of nowhere, this crowd would be cheering Randy Orton. Like Drew's great, but come on. Like I, I, I wonder, I wonder, this will be a big test to see like how good of a baby face he is. Yeah. There was part of me that as they were building up that Orton big show match that I kind of wished that like weeks ago, like a while back that they, could have maybe made some kind of connection between Drew and Big Show so that there would have been that uh, that emotion oh, attached emotion. to it when Big Show is taken out. And then I My remember the last time... Well, the, the asshole who confronted Drew right after WrestleMania during Big Show's, uh, like, heel... Remember at WrestleMania where yes, they did the match yes. right after? So yes. Big Show's gone through multiple turns just this year alone. That, anyway... 
Um, so we're not, we we don't really have anything on on that front. Uh, I, I'm I, I like the program though. I mean, you have your top babyface and your top heel, and both have been booked super strong. And it's it's a very compelling program and a fresh match uh, mm-hmm. as well. And I think that people will go into this arguing either way of like where it could go. You could very well see them putting the title on Orton, but Drew is the the number one project in the company. It is. It's definitely tough for me to predict, um, or tougher uh, for me to predict. And I would say uh, one that feels worthy of a SummerSlam main event. If you know, uh, if these are their options right now. All right, that was Raw. Um, what'd you think of the show overall? Um, I thought the show was fine. You know, I thought it moved along uh, at a decent pace. Uh, some of the booking decisions, I I don't understand at all. In ring was. Um, in some cases, I think good to just, you know, uh, average, but for the most part, it was more so the booking that I think really stood out to me as, you know, really strange, especially considering that all of this took place in the same night. And we didn't get anything announced for next week. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, you wonder if they would even know, cause you know, it's a next set, right? Well, yeah, they're doing these, uh, next week. Mm-hmm. That is the next set. All right, let's go to the forum and see what everyone had to say. Did this get a pass or a fail? What's your guess? Mm, I'm going to say pass. I think it'll pass as well. 5.44, so barely, but it did. Paul from New Jersey. It was 10.06 p.m. Aside from Randy Orton being interested in the WWE title and Garza and Drade becoming number one contenders for titles that don't matter, I can't tell you anything else of note. I figured at this point, Asuka versus Sasha would be good, but that finish... Pin someone. Pin anyone. Bailey is the best heel in WWE, and the Buffalo Blue Jays were victorious today. 2020 is weird. The Buffalo Blue Jays. It would be really unsatisfying if, like, you know, they did Asuka and Sasha, resulting in two pretty, like, fucked up finishes to just be done with that feud. Like, I feel... I, I, I You're right. Like, it could lead to something where... It's some kind of big because you have to go the stipulation route if you're going to a third match between them that somehow offsets Bailey in any way. Um, it absolutely makes sense that Asuka would want revenge against Bailey like completely. Um, but it, again, it, she could she could want to go after both. Yeah, true. And it forces Sasha and Bailey to do like you're you're teasing those two like mm-hmm. um, finally going at it or, or something like that. Is it a handicap match or is it a three way? I'm not crazy about that idea. I don't love it, but um, it, it's it's a possibility. Like the Oscar Sasha threat to me just still feels unresolved, and mm. you know, yeah, we'll see. And you have no one for Sasha. I mean, there's there's no one to spin her off with at this point. So it, it very well could be like that's your stipulation is that Bailey can't interfere because she's part of the match, and Oscar, mm. you know, you could put like. Uh, both both women have to put their titles on the line. It's like winner take all or something. Oscar could win both. You you could go different directions. Maybe right. maybe that's the way you do the three way. Maybe we got a no one from Vaughn who says I decided to check out Raw tonight for one reason. I was really interested in the Sasha Oscar rematch, figuring we'd get a clean finish of instead of that wacky ending at the horror show. And it was a fantastic match. I thought even better than their last one. However, the ending of that match, I just don't get it. Why can't we have a clean ending? Why did the production team decide to put that on the Titantron at that moment in that match when theoretically Bailey and Kyrie were brawling the entire time? Another question. Earlier in the night, Randy just decided he wanted a title match and just asked for one. 
Meanwhile, no less than 10 minutes later, I'm watching a triple threat match for a title shot, going by their logic. Why couldn't, say, Alexander and Ricochet ask for a title match? I know I'm overthinking it, but you shouldn't have to turn off logic in order to enjoy this product. Um, I disagree. <laughs> Rant over. Have a great night, guys. Yeah. Um, you know, who knows what sort of managers or what sort of uh, contracts you or unofficial rankings. Maybe Randy already was like in the official unofficial rankings. Listen, or- Orton just Orton just won the greatest match ever. True. Yes. Which in a, a hilarious WWE.com list, they ranked the top 10 matches of the year. Mm-hmm. And the greatest match of all time was only number two this year. <laughs> I just thought that was awesome. Uh, number one is the Boneyard match. Well, it, it, the Boneyard match technically is not a wrestling match, right? Well, they ranked it. Yeah, I guess so. Well, that that, that is a technicality. Have you seen that AJ? He's he's uh, I guess, Is Mixer done now? Because he's on Twitch. I, I I would assume so. Yeah, yeah. I know he's on Twitch, and I, um, he always delivers. Like man, the man just has no filter on that thing. I'll tell you, Dixie Carter ruined TNA. <laughs> What is it about like playing video games that just gets people to like, <laughs> like just talk? God, it's great. I'm, I'm going to start my, my oh, Twitch stream. You had a big I... weekend. Yes, please explain. So a few weeks ago, I made an impulse buy on Amazon and I bought uh, a cord I need that would hook up my old Sega Genesis, which has just existed here. In my office, and I have not used this thing easily 20 years since I have played this thing. And on Friday, right as we were leaving, the cord arrived. So I just kind of left it there at the front and came home, forgot about it yesterday. And then today, this was like an hour before Raw. I was like, oh, yeah, right. That cord came. So I was playing around with it. I hooked it up to my TV. And nothing would play on it. I was like, is this not working? Is this Sega? Did this thing just like kick the can? It's a very old system. I switched around to a different input and played around with it. And then all of a sudden there was life. And Sega Genesis came to life. And I will be finishing this show and I may be going to play some NHL 95 after this. What are some of these games that you've got? You sent me a screenshot. You've got like... I mean, first thing, Tony La Russa baseball, clearly. Tony La Russa baseball. I had like a half hour before Raw, and I also had to go grab my my pre-Raw coffee because that was a necessity. So I I had like 10 minutes to like uh, just make sure these games work. But I got got Tony La Russa baseball. I've got NHL 95, a very underrated game. Uh, Maybe not so underrated. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I've got NBA Jam. I've got... uh, I love NBA Jam. NBA Jam is an awesome, awesome game. Sean Kemp and Detlef Schrempf were still re- my, my duo. Still relevant as ever, I feel. Like, he's on fire. Is is like, man, still like a it's a meme, you know? Um, somebody wrote a book on it that, that uh, I follow. Really? On yeah, NBA Jam? Of, yeah. In fact, you, I'm going to give that guy a shout out right now. You got to follow the NBA Jam book twitter account at nba jam book he i believe he's a listener of our show he wrote a oh, book shit. about really? nba jam and it's out right now his name is ryan ali and he tweets out like the best like not just nba jam like you know uh behind the scenes photos but like things about retro video games like like street fighter mortal Kombat, things like that so give that guy a follow at when, nba jam book 
When NBA Jam dunked its way into arcades in 1993, players discovered just how fun basketball can be when freed from rules, refs, and gravity itself. But just a few years after Midway's billion-dollar hit conquered the world, Midway published acclaim, and video arcades themselves fell off the map. How did a simple two-on-two basketball game become MVP of the arcade, and how did this champ lose its title? Journalist Rayan Ali dives deep into the saga, tracking the people and decisions that shaped the series. You'll get to know mischievous jam architect Mark Turmel, go inside Midway's Chicago office where hungry young talent tapped into cutting-edge tech and explore the sequels, spin-offs, and tributes that came in the game's wake. I might buy this. It's seriously one of my favorite like Twitter accounts. Like just it's just so, so many cool behind the scenes photos and everything. So anyway, I didn't expect this to turn into a plug for uh, NBA Jam the book, but yes, uh, I hope you get that Twitch account set up, John. And that'd be the best. I don't know if I will, but uh, anyway, Sega Genesis. I I ordered two cords, by the way. Because you we did. also got the N sixty four cord. Wow! Damn. Okay. So are we going to expect a downturn in productivity from uh? Uh, post wrestling's uh you know uh, what i coverage. you know what mike murray might just end up it's gonna appear on way's laptop mike's gonna be slamming my head into a garage door and i'm gonna yell <laughs> way and then way is gonna mm-hmm. come get counted out and and i'm gonna be written off i'm gonna be gone and i'll just be screaming something in a foreign language of course yeah. john has gone off to uh nba jam heaven <laughs> he's gone Sounds like a great place. All right. Well, that's going to wrap everything up, folks. We can't we can't top that. NBA Jam chat, everything else that's going on. Did you watch any baseball over the weekend? No, no. Um, well, actually, you know, I, I, clips and pieces, you know, I'll, I'll tune into. I mean... Uh, I saw very little. Yeah, so it's the empty arena thing. Um, sorry, empty stadium thing. But they've got, like, cutouts of people on the, the seats that are yes. facing the camera. It's very weird. It's like, it's... I, there's so many times I picture like if I was an alien dropped into July 2020 and trying to make sense of what is going on, like just to turn on a baseball game and this is what I'm seeing. It's it's so weird. Like how would you explain this to someone that is just dropping off here from like another year? Uh, yeah, it would be interesting. It would be a really fun experiment actually. Um, but you know, we're used to explaining guys ripping each other's eyeballs out. So I don't know if it'd be that, that much of a stretch. Well, that's the, the world we live in. Um, so there we go. Tuesday night, ask away the mailbag show. You can get your questions in at forum.postwrestling.com. We will be answering any and all questions that come our way on Tuesday and then rewind a dynamite on Wednesday night. Yeah, big week here at Post Wrestling, as always. They're all huge, huge, huge weeks, and uh, we thank you guys for jumping on board. Um, hopefully, you would you enjoy all this. All right, that's it for us. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you to Wei Ting for putting up with me for all this time, and we'll speak with you on Tuesday. <laughs>